Praise the Lord, saints of God. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Are you glad that he woke you up one more again? That's all right. This is Mother's Day, all right? Can we just, can we just celebrate mothers just for a second? Can we just, can we, can we stand up and give our mothers a hand clap? Mothers, you stay seated unless you have a mother. But we just want to celebrate y'all this morning. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. We are glad about mothers. Amen. I think it was uh, blessed that I got a text that includes a mother. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know if that was planned, but it happened. (laughs) So uh, as you all know, we're in our uh, Mark series. Um, But before we get started on that, you may be wondering why I'm in a suit. Uh, But my mom and and my wife, you know, they, they love me in a suit. So it, it's Mother's Day. So I was just. <laughs> amen. Amen. I just wanted to sing a song r- real quick um, because I'm thankful this morning. So I just wanted to, to say to the Lord, thank you, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. If you know that, sing it along with me. It just says that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to. There's a verse that goes like this. You've been so such things that we would descend to this sanctuary and on this live stream at this very time, at this very moment, and we can just give God thanks and praise for that. Amen. Amen. Uh, This morning, I want to talk to you from 
the subject of Mission 360. Mission 360, as in 360 degrees. Self-managing towards God's pleasure. Self-managing towards God's pleasure. Uh, if you're like me, you've probably figured out some that you have some personality quirks and uh, and flaws and other things that are you know particular to you. So if you're like me, you've you've done some research on what that might mean for you and how it might impact relationships and such. You may have come across a book called The Spirit Controlled Temperaments. Uh, there's choleric or caloric, whichever, whichever way you want to pronounce it, phlegmatic, uh, melancholy, and sanguine. Well, I present as uh, a sanguine. Sanguines tend to be lighthearted, fun-loving, and, and confident. Uh, that's the pros. Uh, the cons are uh, sanguines tend to be daydreamers, off-task, often act on uh, whims. Uh, oftentimes people who present as sanguines are the creative uh, types. So as a result, you know, you, you may have uh, come to my room as a teenager and seen it uh, pretty messy. Uh, also times growing up, I've had, you know, issues with uh, time management, especially after going to college and, and I was on uh, my own. And I thought, you know, that was a, that was a you know, pretty big issue for me. Um, time management still is. Um, and I thought, you know, if, if I manage my time just better, if I just figure out how to manage my time better, I'll get through everything that I need to in order to be productive and accomplish uh, the tasks at hand. But uh, I, as I was going through this self-discovery, one of the concepts that I stumbled upon was not simply time management, which is more so an objective reflection, so, so something that anybody can kind of pick off and try to apply particular principles, but it was self-management, right? Self-management. Uh, and here, here's the definition of self-management. Self-management is the ability to prioritize goals, decide what must be done, and be accountable to complete the necessary actions. Comprehensive self-management involves four realms, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. I'll say that again. Self-management is the ability to prioritize goals, decide what must be done, and be accountable to complete the necessary actions. Comprehensive self-management includes four realms, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. You're, you're asking me, Chris, what does this have to do with, with Mark chapter 1? Well, I'll simply say this, that Jesus patterns for us how to maintain relational boundaries and balance how to maintain relational boundaries and balance while being sold out for missional effectiveness. Self-management. In other words, following Jesus into the world doesn't mean that we focus our spiritual engagement merely in areas that we feel called. But we appropriately manage every arena, every area of life in which we find ourselves situated. So uh, I think there in, in this text, Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 29 through 39, I think that there are, are three patterns that I want to highlight that I think uh, Jesus models for his followers. I don't have it up on the screen, but I, I'd like to read for you Mark 
1, 29 through 39. This is from the New King James. It says, Now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they had entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we love you and we bless you, Lord. We're so grateful, Lord, for this time uh, to just uh, meditate in your word, Father God. I'm glad that each Sunday uh, we get to gather as a people, whether in person or over or, or over stream, Father God. There are other places in this world, Father God, that believers are not able to congregate in such ways, Father. So we do not uh, think it robbery. We, we do not want to take it for granted that we are able to come here, Lord. Uh, we pray, God, that as we meditate on your word, that you would give us something that's life-giving, life-changing, uh, that we might alter some things about the way in which we follow you so that we could do that even better. Uh, we pray, God, for all of these things in your mighty and matchless name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So, uh, so, so where are we? We're in, we're in the region of Galilee. Mark starts out the, pretty much the verse seven chapters talking about Jesus's ministry in Galilee, as, as we'll continue to, 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 to find out. And, and Galilee is the northernmost region of this Israel country, right? It's, 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 it's the part of the country that used to belong to the Northern Kingdom when the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom had split. And if you remember, uh, uh, or you, you may not remember, let me just tell you. Uh, so the Kingdom of Israel had split into, into a, a Northern Kingdom called Israel and a Southern Kingdom called Judah. And the Northern Kingdom was more secular than the Southern Kingdom. So, uh, there, there were more people from, from the Hellenistic. There were more people, uh, from outside of Israel who had come and who had settled and who had dwelled in the northern region. So Galilee was, was a, a mix of, of, of a hodgepodge of, of different peoples, but you still had people living in their particular groups, right? You had certain sections that were, you know, uh, just Israelites and you had certain, and Jews and you had other sections that people were from all over, like uh, Phoenicians and, and those other different types of people. And, and Jesus doesn't come from a city in this area. He kind of, as Pastor Larry talked about, he kind of comes from the boonies. Right. He's from this no name, uh, non recognized part of Galilee called Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right. And Jesus comes and he goes and, and, he, and he migrates to the city so that he can begin his public ministry. And this whole uh, first chapter is actually only Jesus's first couple of days in public ministry. 
So, uh, so we, we see all these different particular actions and things that are going on, and, and, and the sequence is moving, the narrative is going straight through, and, 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 and we see Jesus now has, has moved towards what's called the Sea of Galilee, and around the Sea of Galilee are a number of different towns, and in particular the town that we've come to rest in here is Capernaum. So this Jesus from a nowhere town of Nazareth, in this region that's a hodgepodge of religious, of those who are part of the religious establishment, those outside, an emerging commerce and business district. Galilee actually was known as the district. That's what Galilee actually means, district or circle. It had become commonly known as the circle or the district of Gentiles. How did such a man come and have three years of ministry, the most effective time by far of any human to ever live this earth to change the trajectory of the world? Jesus models a few things, but one of the things I wanted to highlight today is Jesus is the king of self-management. He knew how to manage himself and govern himself in a way that would most effectively facilitate his accomplishing his mission. Who is this Jesus? As we talked about last week, this Jesus whose teaching is fresh, who teaches with authority. There are three patterns that I wanted to note from his behavior from our text today. The first is simply this. Followers of Jesus serve the faith community. As we look at uh, several verses throughout this, this first chapter, it's, it's, even, uh, it's even Jesus uh, coming out of the synagogue in verse 29. It says, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, he had already been serving, already casting out uh, demons, already uh, uh, praying and, and healing folks. Jesus was already going about ministry. He, meet, he meets the needs of the faith community. In verse 32, it says, that evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick, those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city was gathered at the door. Verse 38 says, but he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come. We see Jesus in this text moving from very particular ministry in this particular town, going to a particular home, and then saying, no, I also need to serve in general. I also need to serve the masses as well. What does this do? It communicates that Jesus has, has the mind to know that I have a larger ministry that's meant for this larger context, but I'm not large enough to minister to the individual. I, 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 want, I want you to know, uh, uh, people of God today, that Jesus is not so concerned about the church, the institution, that he forgets about the church and the individuals that comprise the church. That, 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 that the church is more concretely composed of individual people, and that is the primary uh, significance and composition of the church. And that's something that Jesus is mindful of, and he's not so heavenly minded, he's not so mission focused that the mission goes beyond the individuals, but is about the individuals. 
We see this. He spends time not only in the synagogue, but he spends time in this home welcoming those from the rest of the town. I don't know about you, but if if I'm going somewhere as a visitor, I get invited to somebody's house. I just want to sit back, recline, eat some good food, you know, uh, have some drinks, you know, talk. Like, I I don't want to be bothered with ministry when I'm a guest at somebody's house. But Jesus, 24-7, has the mind to put himself and facilitate and create the spaces, okay, in which he can maximize his missional engagement. That's self-management. Self-management, again, is the ability to prioritize goals, decide what must be done, and be accountable to complete the necessary actions. Comprehensive self-management involves four four realms, physical, mental, social, and spiritual. So I was doing some more research on uh, on self-management, and and I ran across this great article on on lifehack.org, believe it or not. Lifehack.org. And they gave uh, 12 uh, suggestions on how to optimize self-management. They go like this. Live by your values. You confuse people when you don't because they can't predict how you'll behave. Speak up. No one can hear what you're thinking without you being willing to stand up for it. Mind reading is something most people can't do. Honor your own good word and keep the promises you make. If not, people will eventually stop believing most of what you say and your words will no longer work for you. When you ask for more responsibility, expect to be held fully accountable. This is what seizing ownership of something is all about. It's usually an all or nothing kind of thing. And so you've got to treat it that way. Don't expect people to trust you if you aren't willing to be trustworthy for them First and foremost, trust is an outcome of fulfilled expectations. Be more productive by creating good habits and rejecting bad ones. Good habits corral your energies into a momentum-building rhythm for you. Bad habits sap your energies and drain you. Have a good work ethic, for it seems to be getting rare today. Curious for those old-fashioned values like dependability, timeliness, professionalism, and diligence are prized more than ever. Be action-oriented. Seek to make things work. Be willing to do what it takes. Be interesting. Read voraciously and listen to, and listen to learn. Then teach and share everything you owe. No one owes you their attention. You have to earn it and keep attracting it. Be nice, be courteous, polite, and respectful, be considerate. Manners still count for an awful lot in life, and thank goodness they do. Be self-disciplined, that's what adults are supposed to be when they grow up. (laughs) Don't be a victim or a martyr, you always have a choice, don't shy from it. Choose and choose without regret, look forward and be enthusiastic. Keep healthy and take care of yourself. Exercise your mind, body, and spirit so you can be someone people count on and so you can live expansively and with abundance. Thought it was important to highlight those particular traits of self-management. As I was reading down them, I was like, Jesus is all these things. 
Jesus demonstrates all these uh, particular traits and more. Jesus demonstrates tremendous self-management concerning his ministry to the people of God, not only in a, in a communal or a geographic uh, sense, but also Jesus' self-management allows him to effectively minister to those he loves. That's my second pattern. Followers of Jesus serve their families and with their families. Look at Mark 1, verse 30. But Simon's wife's mother, his mother-in-law, lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. So Jesus here is invited to a meal after uh, Jesus had done all these miracles and teachings at the synagogue. And after that, at, that is done, the, the, the Friday night service. Now Jesus is invited to a meal after church and ends up taking care of the folks in the home. Once again, Jesus going out of his way. I mean, you're a guest at someone's home and they're asking you almost immediately to serve. You walk in, first thing you do is not, not eat, don't have anything. Can you, I didn't come here for that. <laughs> came here for something else. I came here to be served. But here Jesus is again, constantly outward looking. I have a small suspicion though, this was, this was Peter's house. And what, from what we know about Peter, he's pretty bold and, and pretty rash. I suspect Peter uh, asked the Lord to intervene for his mother. I feel like uh, uh, Peter said, Lord, I know we've been working and casting. You've been teaching and and casting out demons and we've just been supporting you and, and walking with you. And we came and we followed you. But Lord, can you come to my house? There's something happening at my house. And that might be you. You've been in church serving all these years, been committed to ministry, devoted countless hours of time, talent and treasure. But sometimes you need to ask God, God, can you come to my house? My mother is sick. God, I need you to come to my house, Lord. I've been serving you all this time. Some of you, for some of you, it's your kids. God, I need you to come to my house. God, I need you to come to my house, and I need you to do something. I need you to intervene. God, God, can you stop on by my house? And I I just want to encourage you today that that you are, that that, that this time, talent, and treasure that that you're putting into into ministry, into serving, and that all that you do, that, that, that you are not just serving others. But God is the God who will come to your aid as well. Don't let your faith just be faith for what God can do for other people. But faith is for also what God can do for you as well and for those that you love. Sometimes we get caught on too much, trailing and tagging on to other people's faith. For what God can do for them, what God is doing in their life. But what about the faith for what God can do in your life? 
how God can minister to you, how God can minister to your own family. Sometimes you have to believe the messages that you preach yourself. Hope I'm in somebody's house this morning. I got to be honest with y'all. I grew up at a church for 30 years. Loved it there. Me and my wife got married. And when you get married, sometimes things change, dynamics change. Wasn't the right church for us to be in anymore. But I wanted us to stay because I had ministry goals. I had ministry aspirations. At the cost of the health and spiritual well-being of my marriage. Peter's bold enough to say, you know what, I, I actually, you know, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble or not. But I'm going to ask Jesus, say, Lord, can you come to my house? He puts the spiritual well-being of his family above any particular uh, 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 potential loss of whatever it might be. If he was, had been rebuked, if he had been uh, uh, whatever, it, or punished for having asked that question, it doesn't matter. Lord, come to my house. I put it all on the table because I value the spiritual well-being of my family over my position. They, they're what matters most. Take care of home. Take care of home. But ministry isn't just for others, as I was talking about. We aren't just little Jesuses to others. But also, we have to create spaces in which people can be little Jesuses to us. Let me talk about that some more. I have a pastoral friend that talks about giving people the gift of your need. The gift of your need. In other words, when you communicate your needs to others, to other people within the Christian community, you have facilitated space for them to then act in a capacity of being a little Jesus. Loving on you talking to you, comforting you, allowing the spirit of God through that person to minister to you. That's giving someone the gift of your need. That's in part what we have seen here. Take a look at the, the mother's response. Verse 31, so he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. It's not meant to say the proper place for a woman is to serve and to cook the food that as soon as she got healed, oh, let me go to the kitchen. All right. But it is saying what the appropriate response of someone is who's been touched by Jesus. <laughs> that, that when God has come into your life and done something that is extraordinary or miraculous, you can't help but have a response of, of, of service. You can't help but get up out of your seat and say, you know, I got to serve somebody. I got to love on somebody because that's what God has done for me. He's loved on me. He's touched me. He's healed me. He's comforted me. Let me go do that for somebody else. 
That's his mother's response. This is a godly house, household here in which we're, we're seeing healing being uh, demonstrated, but, but also this house now opens up to the community. Isn't it something when we as Christians close off our private lives? When our community members, our neighbors, could be impacted by our love, our kindness, our generosity. But too much in this consumeristic culture, we are captivated by our creature comforts, creature comforts which keep us isolated in our particular spaces, right? And the pandemic has, has further leaned us into this, but, but that's not the call of a Christian. The call of a Christian is that families serve one another, but then families go out and serve their communities as well. You know what? I, I used to hate being dragged with my parents to go visit sick people. I used to hate, like, you have to sit up there for hours, watch people drink their communion juice, ask how you doing. You don't know anything that they're talking about. All you're doing is listening, but you're listening. And I listened. And while I hated the time then, I'm grateful for the time now, as, as a mature adult now, I have appreciation for the life that God has given me. I have appreciation for my health, uh, but I also have an appreciation for, for, for the character that's being developed out of particular sick people. Their, their, their particular testimonies about how God is sustaining them through particular ailments. I would never have had that if I wasn't dragged along to things that I hate. So parents, be encouraged. Sometimes you got to drag your kids to stuff they hate, but they'll appreciate it later. Especially when it's in the cause of service. Especially when it's for other people. I'm not talking about dragging them to things because you're being selfish now. But I'm talking about when you are putting children into position of service where their attention is outwardly focused, you are putting them and grounding them with humility. You are, you are putting them in a position when they grow up and mature that they can also put on that particular character. Third pattern I wanted us to see that Jesus highlights with regards to self-management. Followers of Jesus are about self-service, are about self-service. In verse 34, it says, Then healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. What is this thing about not permitting uh, uh, demons to speak? Well, it's this uh, messianic uh, secrecy. Uh, It's it's the drama of of scripture that that Mark is is trying to to capture here. And we see that that Jesus is navigating this thing in a very strategic and, 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 and tactical way. One, he wanted to ensure that his growing reputation would not be misinterpreted or communicated as a coming military deliverance. He's like, I'm not here to take over any kind of army, okay? And I don't want it to get misconstrued. And if a, a word about him becomes too popular too soon, it might limit his effectiveness. So that's one of the motivations. Also, uh, uh, we, we, we know the motivation because Jesus uh, doesn't want people, he doesn't want allegiance that's based in amazement and astonishment. 
Uh, uh, Jesus is more so after allegiance and, and commitment that's rooted uh, uh, in, his, in his suffering, right? Uh, Mark is, is the gospel in, in part. It, it, it takes a lot of its, of its imagery uh, and, and a lot of its uh, Old Testament reflections on Isaiah's suffering servant. So if one, if one is going to, to follow Jesus, they must follow him from, from the position of servanthood, not the position of power. That's how they'll truly be able to follow him. And then, you know, Mark is kind of setting this thing up where he, he wants to highlight uh, 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 the, the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Jesus. And that, and, and that thing is the full consummation and revelation of Jesus' identity. So, so, so Mark is giving us tidbits. Imagine listening to uh, and reading Mark for, for the first time as a first century listener. And listening to, to this narrative, this story and build up, Mark is a master storyteller. But there's one thing I just wanted to parenthetically pause just, just for a second. I just, just one thing that I, I just want to say and encourage you from this particular thing about Jesus shutting, shutting up the demons. Is that Jesus did not allow the demons to frustrate his mission. Jesus did not allow demons to frustrate his mission. In other words, there are internal demons that we suffer from that we allow to prohibit and hinder our ability to carry out the mission that God has given us. There are addictions, there are dependencies, there are uh, 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 things that you are, are self-aware about that prohibit and limit your ability to be missionally effective. Don't let your demons frustrate your mission. How does, how does Jesus deal with this newfound fame? Everybody's getting excited. The whole town is now come to the door. They found him at the synagogue. They found him at, at a home. Everybody's rushing to Jesus. They, they, they want to get healed. They, they want to hear this, this fresh new teaching. And what does Jesus do? What's his response? He goes to God in prayer. He goes to God in prayer. That's because being grounded in God is the primary and rudimentary step towards missional effectiveness. There is an intentionality that Jesus has about going to prayer. Look at verse 35. It says, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. In other words, Jesus early, before everybody else got up, went to find a place where nobody could find him because he did not want to be disturbed. That is intentionality. And the main primary way that we are going to be wired to be able to live on mission for Jesus is that we are right with God the Father. Jesus patterns this behavior. There, there's no other reason why Jesus would be going off by himself but to talk and get intimate with his daddy. 
I don't call this solitary confinement. I call it solitary refinement that Jesus has gone to deal with himself. He is not concerned about the growing crowds. In fact, he's probably trying to deal with the temptation of, of, of feeling himself and, and smelling himself and becoming too cocky and becoming too arrogant. And sometimes that's what many of us uh, get caught in the trap doing. Uh, we become crowd pleasers. We become people pleasers because we feel that satisfaction a lot of times comes from the affirmation of people instead of the affirmation of God. This thing, prayer, man, I'm glad we're in the church where our leaders are all about prayer. To be honest with you, I don't, I don't, I don't pray as I, as I should. I don't pray as I ought, but I'm in a place that's pushing me towards becoming more prayerful. If you read uh, later in this gospel in Mark chapter 9, Jesus had given authority to his disciples to cast out demons, but there was a boy that they were not able to cast out the demon from. Only Jesus could. So they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, why weren't we able to cast out this demon? And Jesus said, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. There are some things that happen only in prayer. There are some demons, some strongholds, some hindrances that are only cast off and cast out in the midst of prayer. There, there are only some things that are built up inside of you, some characteristics that, that make you ready to carry out God's mission for your life. Some of those things only happen in a time of prayer. And I'm not talking about transactional prayer where, where I go to God and I'm asking him for things. I'm talking about prayer where you seek the face of God. Prayer where you lay before God. Prayer where you lay surrendered before God, waiting for him to speak. Sometimes things only happen through prayer. The disciples are focused. <laughs> Look at verse 36 with me. It says, and Simon and those who are with him searched for him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. The disciples are fo so focused on the move of God that they disregard the significance of being in the presence of God. This verse 36 and 37, these, these words, search and looking, is a bit deceiving in the English translation, but the original sense is hunted. It has a negative connotation. Everywhere else, these words are used. They're used for pursue, persecute. They have negative connotations. And in other words, uh, 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 the, the Mark is trying to get across that uh, they were not looking for Jesus with pure or the best intentions. They wanted to capitalize on his newfound fame. They wanted to capitalize on the excitement that, that he had 
generated. Oh, oh, I hope we'll, we'll never become a church that's so seeker driven that we're willing to do whatever it takes to generate amazement and excitement and enthusiasm for the wrong reasons. But Jesus is not after fans. Jesus is after followers. Jesus is not after people who are Jesus addicts. Jesus is after people who are Jesus disciples and, and followers and those who are committed to him. Problem with addictions is that you're constantly chasing false hope on things that will never satisfy. Well, Jesus is the only one who can bring ultimate satisfaction. Last pattern that I think Jesus sets for us in this particular text, and it's, it's really kind of the, the, the theme here, that, that followers of Jesus, they holistically embrace the dualism of mission. What am I saying uh, when, I, when I say that? Being on a mission is both saying and doing. It's uh, not just walking. It's not just talking. It's both talking the talk and walking the walk in every area of life. That there is no stone which is unturned in a missional lifestyle. Look at verse 38. It, said, it says, but he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. I didn't come forth to do party tricks. I didn't come forth just to do miracles for the sake of miracles. My purpose is to proclaim the gospel to set the captives free, to, 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 to loose people from the control of demonic influences. Jesus says, I have come to proclaim and to reclaim, not just to show off for your particular interests and to make you happy like I'm some kind of genie. No, that's not what Je why Jesus has come, but I have come that people might have life and might have it to the full. You might know this famous 19th century quote that there's not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is Lord over all, does not exclaim, mine, your mind, your mind, your mind. Not just your church life, not just your, your work life, not just your home life. But at church, at home, in your community, in your marriage, in your parentage, you are mine. I've come to proclaim that to you, and I've come to reclaim you to that mission. Follow me into the world, Jesus says. That's discipleship. That's mission 360. The, the, the encouragement today is not, I'm not promoting some type of mystical idealism that charges you. To always have your I's dotted and your T's crossed. I'm not saying your priorities always have to be properly mapped and plotted so that you can always account for different scenarios and do this and that. Jesus shows us in just these verses the responsiveness and adaptation is the key towards missional self-management. Mission is being a whole person in whole relationships committed to 
the whole gospel and its implications. This isn't black and white. It's not gray either. But living missionally is highly organic. Asking you to submit to something that's Jesus-led, spirit-filled, and for God's good pleasure. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we love you. We bless you. We're grateful for all that you've done, all that you are, all that you are making us. Uh, I pray, Lord God, that today's message, someone would decide to live their life 360 degrees for you. I pray, Lord, that we would not lay down our Christianese, our Christian hat on one day and pick it up on another. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't, wouldn't just talk Christianese, that we wouldn't just be Christian part-time, but being Christian is a full-time, not just job, but life. Even a job, you take the hat on and put it off sometimes. But Lord, this thing called being a Christian engulfs every arena of my life. And Lord, that's a lifelong journey towards that. Don't let us become weary in well-doing, but Lord, encourage us along the way. Encourage us through others. Encourage us through our spouses. Encourage us through our parents, Lord. Encourage us uh, through our co-workers and other people who might come to know Jesus on account of our witness uh, about you, Father God. But Lord, we love you. We bless you. And we pray, Father God, that as we journey through this life, that and as we live a mission-filled life, that you would say, well done thy good and faithful servant. I bless you, Lord, for this time today. In your mighty and matchless name, Jesus Christ, amen.